one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Extra, extra, read all about it. Jack the Ripper baffled Scotland Yard. 1888, Whitechapel, home to East London's sex trade. A sinister shadow stalked its dark brooding alleys, brutally slaying a slew of so-called fallen women in a vicious spree over just a few streets. Fleeing unseen and leaving no clues, the mystery of Jack the Ripper's identity and motive fueled the burgeoning tabloid media baying for blood and print, making his killings as infamous today as they were back then. Jack the Ripper was the first spree killer of his kind, but he wasn't the last. Extra, extra, read all about it. Soho Strangler battles Scotland Yard. 1935, Soho. Almost 50 years later, and three miles west, an unseen slayer stalked the fog-wreathed streets of West London's red light district. Four women, all poor, all foreign, all linked to the sex trade, and all unnervingly similar in life and looks, were strangled alone in their beds with escalating ferocity. Dubbed the Soho Strangler, this lone maniac terrified these few streets. Leaving women in fear, the police at a loss and with no witnesses or clues. Even today, all four murders remain unsolved. Syndicated worldwide, newspapers from London to Lisbon, Chicago to Karachi, fed off the fever of his killing spree. It made Soho a byword for terror. The Strangler, a sadist to be feared, and he bestowed a notoriety on his four unfortunate victims. French Fifi, Marie Cotton, Dutch Leia, and French Marie. 
the Soho Strangler was the Jack the Ripper of his era. But with the fascists on the rise, Nazi season power, and a real horror looming on the horizon, death would soon come not to a few, but to hundreds in Soho and millions across the world. And although both cases were strangely similar, one remained infamous as the other was entirely forgotten. Limitless books have tried to solve the riddle of the Ripper killings. But what stalls every investigation is the lack of evidence, as most of the documents were either lost, stolen, or inaccurately regurgitated by a tabloid press focused on speed and not accuracy. 135 years on, it's unlikely that the Ripper will ever be solved. And yet in the case of the Soho Strangler, we have everything. From court records to police files, autopsy reports, witness statements, coroner's inquests, and full histories of his victims and suspects. Told in full for the very first time, this is the true story of Britain's long-forgotten serial killer, the Soho Strangler. Archer Street, Soho, the seedy heart of the West End's theatre and sex trade, is a cramped little slit between Piccadilly Circus, Shaftesbury Avenue and Old Compton Street. Riddled with jazz joints, jizz parlours, pubs, clubs and brothels, it hummed with the sordid bristle and stench of booze and sex. Monday the 4th of November 1935, just shy of noon. Elderly French maid Felicity Placent strolled into 3-4 Archer Street. Passing the windmill, Soho's infamous burlesque club. The street door was unlocked as usual as she ascended the staircase. The Cairo Club in the basement and the Globe Club on the first floor was silent, except for the scrubbing of cleaners, prepping for the late-night trade. With the second floor currently vacant, and the third and fourth floors sublet to four sex workers in four single flats. As a prostitute's maid, Felicity worked a 12-hour shift for a modest wage of £1 per week. Her job, to make the bed to wash the sheets, to empty the ashtray, to ensure the room was spick and span, and to generally be invisible to any good or nervous clients, and yet visible to those who were bad. On the third floor, she unlocked the door to flat one, seeing no movement beyond its frosted glass. With the hall often silent at this hour, Felicity crept in 
as her employer, 41-year-old French prostitute, Mrs. Josephine Martin, known as French Fifi, slept till mid-afternoon, having worked from 5pm to 3am. Nothing seemed out of place. The rug had rocked up, as it often did, when Madame opened the door. Several cigarette butts littered the ashtray, and a half-eaten meal of eggs and tea adorned the kitchen table. Pretty much, the flap was as she had left it 36 hours earlier. With no client seen, through a slightly ajar curtain, she saw Fifi alone on the bed, fully dressed and flaked out. As per usual, Felicity popped a kettle on the hob to make them both a cuppa for the long day ahead. Felicity would state, I took her to the bedroom. She was lying on her back with her feet on the floor and with one shoe and stocking off. I put the tea on the dressing table. I caught hold of her hand and shook it and said, Here's your tea, madam. Her hand was stiff and cold. I then realised she was dead. Having taken her own life, using her own stocking to seize her own breath, her passing marked the sad and tragic end to the turbulent life of a good woman who only wanted to be loved. Sickness, loss and depression had pockmarked her final years, only for her to succumb to a very lonely suicide. The death of French Fifi was as unremarkable as it was forgotten. Long before she hid behind her alias, French Fifi was born Josephine Mécanique on the 22nd of July, 1894, in Paris. The eldest of two siblings, with an older brother, Albert. Raised by Russian Jews in a French suburb, the family frequently moved to flee their persecution as immigrants. And given her chaotic upbringing, it was no surprise that wherever she fled to, Josephine was always desperate to find love. Seen as softly spoken and sensitive, she was described as a good girl who kept her family well. A quiet soul who seldom spoke to anyone. And a woman who didn't just fall in love, she becomes besotted and will do anything for the person she adores. Being easy on the eye, Josephine was a petite and slightly plump brunette. With her hair in a bob, long fingernails, and a set of ruby-red lips. In 1901, for reasons unknown, 
seven-year-old Josephine was brought to England, leaving behind her mother, but followed one year later by 16-year-old Albert. Working alongside her tailor father in the French parts of Soho, she was educated and she knew the streets well, but her English would always be broken. Age 14, she returned to Paris. Only her true home would hold nothing but horror for this young girl. According to James Orr, a later lover of Josephine's, some man became acquainted with her. Being so besotted by him that she did as he bade, he put her on the streets. A little girl forced to sell her virginity to see these strangers in Rue Pigali, the dark and dangerous streets of Paris's red light district. Made pregnant by a man who pimped her out and ponced off her illegal earnings, her illegitimate child was born in secret, adopted under a false name, and she never saw her only child ever again. By the end of the First World War, and after four years of prostitution, Fifi moved back to London. Although it's uncertain if she fled, or she was trafficked by French pimps as part of the white slave trade. In September 1919, at Marleybone Register Office, barely months after her return to Soho, 24-year-old Josephine Mechanique married British citizen Henry V. Martin, a waiter at the nearby Trocadero. I wish I could tell you that she found love and lived happily ever after. But she didn't. It's likely that this was a marriage of convenience, possibly paid for by her pimps, so her newly established British citizenship would make it impossible to deport her for the crime she would commit to pay off her debts to her pimps. After just six months, Josephine and Henry split, and he promptly moved to America to start a new life for himself possibly funded by the small wage he was paid for an afternoon's work. She rarely spoke of him again, but having retained his surname and the wedding ring, this would gift her some respectability. That same year, being sick with loneliness, Josephine fell for César Mary, a serial philanderer who worked at the Belgian consulate in Belgravia. Wooing her with fine words and gifting her a good life of a nice flat, fancy furs and lavish cocktail parties, he fulfilled her dreams. So besotted was Josephine that on her right thigh she tattooed an unfortunate epitaph.
it read, To my Cesar, forever till I die. Only with his love a cruel sham. It's likely that his legitimate job was a ruse to hide his illicit affairs. And as was a familiar trick employed by the white slave traders, he gave her everything, only to take it away. Living in poverty, but fueled by the hope of a return to the good life. As French Fifi, Josephine would be forced to pay her way, owing an ever-escalating fee to her pimps, which she could never pay off. And yet, although little and quiet, Josephine had a fiery temper when things got a little too hot. In 1923, after three years living under César's rule, she packed up her belongings, moved in with her brother Albert, and doing something as brave as it was foolish. Following her arrest for prostitution, she appeared at Bow Street Police Court as witness for the prosecution against Cesar. Found guilty of living off her immoral earnings, he was sentenced to one month's hard labour and as an illegal alien, on the 6th of September 1927, he was deported back to Belgium, later stating, it was Fifi who put me away. By 1927, after 17 years as a prostitute, all French Fifi knew was sex. Shielded by a nom de plume, her alias gave a hint of the exotic to her working-class punters, but it also shielded her truth in a mystery. As a well-known and well-liked figure in Soho's sex district, she plied her trade on Glasshow Street, a short thoroughfare from Piccadilly Circus to the eastern edge of Regent Street. She always dressed elegantly in fine furs, neat makeup, and discreet but affordable jewellery. She was always polite, often alone, but blessed with many friends who were prostitutes, they escorted one another for protection. Post César, it is unknown whether she had a pimp, but as Soho's prostitution rackets were run by a slew of foreign criminals, whether French pimps like Roger Vernon and the Marcel Collective, Red Max and the Iron Gang, or Maltese gangsters like the Messina Brothers and the Vassallo Gang, until the day of her death, Josephine would amass 74 convictions for prostitution and brothel keeping. And yet that year would ignite a tragic downfall, which would end in her suicide. In 1928, bucked with cramps, bleeding and dizzy spells, 34-year-old Josephine was rushed to the Middlesex Hospital, as cancer was spotted on her womb. 
given an emergency hysterectomy, which saved her life. Although she remained under medical care, it would plague her with pains for the rest of her days. Her maid would state, Madam was always sick. Cursed with sharp pains in her back, hot flushes to her face, dysentery, fever, shortness of breath, and a blood pressure so low, she often passed out. Discharged after three months, she went straight back to work, all broken and withdrawn. On the 9th of November 1933, Josephine moved into flat one on the third floor of 3-4 Archer Street in Soho. A busy side street chock full of musicians, dancers and actors, as well as pubs and clubs supplying a passing trade of drunks with ready cash and raging boners. Split into a sitting room, a bedroom, a kitchen and a bathroom, Vera Richards, the landlady, liked her French tenant, as she always kept a spotlessly clean flat, and only once was she late with the two-pound rent. For Josephine, her professionalism was a matter of pride. Her dresses were stylish, her fur coats were neat, her makeup was subtle, and her stockings never had a rip nor a run. To her French maid, 72-year-old widow Felicity, she was always kind, caring, and never failed to pay her wage, even if she was short. By 1935, her last year alive, times were hard for Josephine. Described as tight with money and always sober. Whereas once this exquisite French beauty, with a doll-like frame, searing blue eyes and pouting red lips, had her pick of the ten or so clients a night that a sultry Parisian murmur lured in. Now, cracked, faded and often bedridden for days on end, this middle-aged, lightly graying, slightly pudgy woman struggled to muster three drunks, at best four. According to Millie, a friend and a fellow sex worker, she didn't have a type. She slept with anyone. Chinese, even coloreds. And earning, if it was her own, an okay wage of four to six pounds per night, depending on the weather. She had no regular callers, and no one came back for a second time. As a teetotaler, her limited funds rarely covered her outgoings. With her looks as her moneymaker, although her long fingernails were always neat and painted, the dental plate of her false teeth was old and worn. She owed debts to her dressmaker. She hocked her furs, and except for a wedding band to Henry Martin, she had pawned all of her jewellery. The police report would state, There is no doubt that she was heavily in debt, 
and living a hand-to-mouth existence. As of those debts that we know of, by the time of her death, she owed 106 pounds, four shillings and sixpence, roughly eight and a half thousand pounds today, just shy of the annual wage in 1935. But her debt wasn't down to a silly lady struggling to look pretty. As being a good girl who kept her family well, she supported her brother Albert and his wife for months and often bailed him out of prison when he needed her most. Always frugal, she wasn't a spender, a lush or a squanderer. It was compassion which was her curse. As fueled by a longing to be loved, she became besotted and would do anything for those she adored. In the summer of 1932, at the Lions Corner House Tea Room in Piccadilly, Josephine met 29-year-old James Orr, known as Jimmy, a car dealer from Chicago whose handsome looks had got him bit parts in the movies. What blossomed was love. Real love. To a good man who loved her back. And although her life as a convicted prostitute may have put some men off, Jimmy loved Josephine no matter what. It could have been something wonderful. Only Jimmy had a demon. Heroin. Cursed with the sickness of addiction. Although not a drug user herself, Josephine loved this man who was decent, kind. And through his struggle, she supported him through poverty, pain and torment to try and save his soul. All she ever wanted was to be loved. And yet once again, love would be denied her. By the autumn of 1935, as the nights drew longer and punters grew fewer, as a 41-year-old slightly portly lady, with no savings, few family, a recurring sickness, a burden of debt, and unable to move on as she was still legally wed. After a quarter of a century in sex work, her tawdry little life was to be her lot. Felicity would state, I have not heard her threaten to commit suicide. But almost daily, she complained about things being none too good. I considered this a regular remark in conversation, as she was always fed up. On Friday the 18th of October 1935, two weeks before her death, Josephine appeared at Great Marlborough Street Police Station on her final charge of prostitution. As was easiest, she pleaded guilty and she paid the 40 shilling fine to the court's jailer, PC Frederick Pregnell. At her inquest, 
he would state. She seemed very depressed. She said, I'm fed up with this life. I've got a good mind to finish it. I'm sick of it all. Stuck in a vicious cycle of sickness, debt and loneliness. Her unremittingly empty life was hard, getting harder. And worse still, it was dangerous. For prostitutes, violence is an all-too-common part of daily life. One week before her last conviction for prostitution, Millie, her neighbour in flat two, would state, I heard a quarrel in her room and knocked on the wall. Later, Josephine admitted, I had a struggle with a foreigner who got hold of my throat. But for Millie, it was quite usual for Fifi to have rows with the men she brought home. She would demand more than the agreed price, refuse to undress, and she was always in a hurry to get the man out of her flat. It was said by many that she could handle herself when she had to. And too often, she had to. having been robbed and burgled more times than she could recall. She would never take her stocking off in front of a man, and very seldom dressed before him. Not just to speed up the sex, but she always kept her money in the heel of her left stocking, as witnessed by her maid and friends. Saturday the 2nd of November 1935 was her penultimate day alive. And with it came a tidal wave of emotions. Having seen and supported Jimmy every day for the last two years, as much as she would miss him for the next three months, she helped him get into Caldergott Hall, a home for inebriates and drug addicts. Without a quibble, she'd always paid his bills, made his meals, gifted him an allowance, and would sacrifice her own needs by sending him to get clean. 91 miles northwest in the Midlands town of Nuneaton. That day, she so wanted to kiss him and to wish him goodbye. But having already left his hotel, it was not to be. The night was cold and glum, as a bitter wind whistled down Archer Street. But drizzle aside, between 9pm and 11pm, Fifi picked up three men, unseen by Felicity, and being quick and quiet, they only stayed for ten minutes. With the £2.05 shillings she made being posted to Jimmy, and a two-shilling tip for her maid. Having changed the sheets 
and left the flat pretty much as she would find it 36 hours later. At roughly midnight, as Felicity exited the door, Fifi's last words to her were, Good night. I'll see you on Monday. At 12.30am, she met Millie at the Continental Café on Shaftesbury Avenue and lamented the loss of her lover who was gone. At 1.15am, she handed her brother six shillings, as she often did to keep him out of debt. And from 1.30am till 6am, she stayed with her friend Frida, smoking cigarettes and eating pies. That night, they planned to meet up again. Only this would be the last sighting of French Fifi. At 5.30pm, Frida called Fifi's phone in the flat. She sounded happy and she said she'd see me later as they often escorted each other on their patches, Frida on Green Street and Fifi on Glasshouse Street. As agreed, Frida waited for her pal at their pre-planned place and time. Only oddly, Fifi never arrived. Interviewed days later, there were a few possible sightings of Fifi only the details cannot be verified. Between 9.15 and 10pm, Sidney Bloom, a Jewish seller of contraception to prostitutes in the West End, said he saw Fifi on her patch and get off with her client. At 9.20pm, Millie in flat 2 heard Fifi shout, I can't see the money. You haven't put it down. The couple briefly rowed, and the man left. At 2am, James Weller, a doorman at Max Club at 41 Great Windmill Street, a road west of Fifi's flat, said, She wanted to come in. I said no, as women can't come in unless escorted by a gentleman. They had a laugh, and she seemed normal, and then left. And seeing her turn left into Ham Yard, Beatrice, the owner of Old Friars Cafe at 16 Ham Yard, served her semi-regular customer a black coffee. According to Beatrice, she sat alone, her arms were folded, she spoke to no one, and I thought... She looked really tired. If those dates and times were right, at a little after 2am, one street east, Fifi entered 3-4 Archer Street. Only nobody saw her, and with the clubs closed and the tenants out, nobody heard her. 
alerted by her mate, Felicity Pleasant. At 1.50pm, Divisional Detective Inspector John Edwards and Police Surgeon Charles Burney conducted an in-situ examination of the body and the scene. With every door and window locked and in good working order, there were no signs of a break-in. With no hint of a robbery, disturbance or a struggle, foul play was not suspected. And with a half-eaten meal for one, of fried eggs and a pot of tea on the kitchen table, it looked as if she had dined alone and went to bed. With the lights out and the curtains still partially drawn, even at night, the bedroom would have been lit by the street lamps outside and the flats opposite, revealing the cold dead body of Fifi on the bed. Lying on her back and fully clothed, as if she was merely dozing, her face was described as peaceful, like her pain had been taken away. As on the dresser, lay painful reminders of her sad little life. Post office receipts to fund Jimmy's recovery and a recent court summons for the crime of prostitution. Her hair was still tidy. Her clothes weren't disarranged. Her fingernails were unbroken. And as she only did when she was alone, she had removed a stocking from her left leg. She had unclipped it and carefully rolled it down so it didn't have a tear, a rip, or a run. Keen to find peace, she wrapped it twice around her neck. She tied a half-hitch knot to take the load, and as she pulled it tight, her low blood pressure made her pass out, and the stocking stopped her breath. With rigor mortis delayed by sudden trauma, her time of death was established as eight to ten hours prior. And with no recent bruising, Dr. Burney concluded it was probably a case of suicide. Released by the coroner, Mr. Ingleby Oddy, four days later, her body was buried, her funeral paid for by a Jewish charity. By the evening, a few local papers reported the death by suicide of a Soho prostitute known as French Fifi. Only being hastily written by tabloid hacks, many were short and inaccurate, as if nobody cared. The suicide of French Fifi was as unremarkable as it was to be forgotten. And yet, it was the first fledgling killing of the Soho Strangler. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. By Jingle, wow! Oh, lordy, lordy, up on high. Hello, everyone. How are we all? We all good? Do you know what? I'm not going to make a cup of tea. I'm not going to make a cup of tea only because I've been teeing all day and I've got yeah, diet coke, diet coke, lime. I shouldn't really have a coke because, as we know, it's an irritant to the bowel, and because I'm because I'm an older gentleman now. I've had these conversations with people in the forties as well, and we 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 all seem to realise that you can have one coffee and then you're weeing all day. So I'm an old person. What can I say? Uh, oh, welcome to Extra Mile, the unscripted, unedited bit. See, I've been away for too long. I can't remember stuff anymore. Um, so yeah, what's been going on? This really, basically, I I did all my episodes pre-Christmas, got them all done before December, so it gave me December to do research, and I was researching right through January on this project, which in total it's taken me about eight years to do this. The bulk of it has taken uh, the last couple of months, the last six or seven months, but the bulk, but it's taken about eight or nine years to about about eight years to do this. Uh, but the last couple of months have been really interesting. It's it's one of these cases that's always been on the cards, and I always kept thinking, let's let's do it one day because I knew I used to do it on my tours. I used to do a version of it, a little version, um, which was okay. Um, but I always thought, yeah, one day I'm going to do this properly. And because I had access to all of the court records, all the police files, everything's there. 
I just thought, right, let's just sit down and do it. So yeah, I've been away slogging my guts out getting this done, and it's it's fascinating case. It really is. It's it, this is this is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. Like Blackout Ripper was interesting, but Blackout Ripper was logical. It goes it it it's one man. It goes on a logical route. You, you can follow his journey, and he, you know it made sense. This one's really complicated. This one. The more I researched it, the more my head started exploding because there's a lot in it. This is uh, this episode is quite a simple one, but we're I've had to put a lot into this episode and take a lot out. There's a lot in here that leads to the other the other nine episodes. So I'm taking you on a journey already. You may think there's not a lot in there, but there's a lot that I've packed into this one. It's a it's a bigger episode than it seems. Part two next week we will. Um, we will unearth the second part of French Fifi. So basically, it's going to go. There's there'll be two episodes per victim. I know you're probably going. Hang on, four victims, ten episodes. What's going on? Yes, don't worry. There's there's a lot more murders than four in here. Christ! Even when I was researching this, I I, I even said to myself, Oh fuck, not another murder. <laughs> there's, there's a lot. There's a lot in here, and it's a really fascinating case. So I hope I hope you stay for the long haul on this one. It's really worth it. And the great thing is, there's nothing out there about it. The only thing that's really out there is. I've deleted most of it now, but there's bits and pieces out there that I did for the tour. I've deleted most of my blog posts about it, so there's no spoilers in there. Um, obviously, coming up is French is uh, Dutch Lair, who we covered in episode four, I think. But this is a different version of that. This is connected to the Soho Strangler. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot to explore. So uh, yeah, let's. Uh, that, all exciting, yeah. And of course. And not because I forgot to do it in the episode and I'm recording this later on, but you can tell I haven't done a podcast in a little while. Uh, a little thank you to all the new Patreon subscribers. Who are... Becky Connor, Wodka Pashtuma Bichler. I hope I got that right. I have been on the internet, had a look around, hope I got it right. Jackie Causa, Daniel Bronx, Truman, Matthew Nielsen, Daisy, Linda... Mandy Latcham, Hazel Hawkett, Molly Doherty, Angela Leonard, and Linda Johnson. Cool, dear, that's a lot of people. A lot of people subscribed December, January, and this is our first episode back, so there's a lot of people to thank there. Uh, also a thank to Dawn Smith for your very kind donation. That was very much appreciated and spent on goodies. So... What else has been going on? I uh, had the boat out of the water for a week, which was uh, doing regular repairs to it. Just the problem with that, that week, when I got the boat out of the water, which gives you a chance to go underneath the boat and go into all the little crevices that you normally can't get access to, I came down with no... no was it norovirus? The one where you're, you're basically vomiting all the time and, and shitting like you're pissing. And, oh, God, it was horrible. And even worse, it gives you a really horrible eggy breath like you're the devil. So I had to... I had to do my repairs uh, while while shitting and puking and everything. It was horrible. I was walking. I walking from town. I grabbed myself uh, some something to bung me up a bit so I could do some work. And as I walked through the the um, the local park, um, I, I went to sneak out a little fart for oh, big big danger uh, and shat myself. Absolutely shat myself. Luckily, wasn't wearing shorts that day. Made it to the boat centre where my boat was. And the second I got in there, the engineer wanted to have a nice long conversation with me that was really important. So I had to stand there having a nice chat with him while shit was running down my leg. Oh, joy. <laughs> oh, joy. Oh, 
God, what a week. Uh, and, and then the laptop died. The the laptop, the one, the, the, my main one, which I've been using for ages, that finally died. It died in December. I had it rebuilt. It died in January, and I thought, fuck it. So I've lost some stuff because Google Drive didn't save everything. Um, but... I've rebuilt, so this is my new laptop, which is a duplicate of my other backup laptop. So I now have two laptops, one off, one online, one offline, one connected to Google Drive, uh, direct one not, uh, but they're identical laptops almost. So, uh, so I can literally jump between them, which is great. Oh, so hopefully no more technical problems for at least a year. That would be lovely. Thank you very much. Uh, what else is going on? I think that's it, pretty much. Um, d- this is a ten-parter. I might do an omnibus ed- edition at the end. Don't forget, if you're oh burpees, if you're uh, a patron subscriber I, throughout January, I've done some walk with me's for everyone. But don't forget, um, when I finished editing, I always do a walk with me, which is basically. I go through and tell you everything that I've edited out the episode. So all the stuff that you will never hear in Extra Mile, I tell you about all the little secrets that are hidden away in the episodes as well. So all the little the little sounds that you won't know about. There's there's and quite often I put in red herrings. I'll make you aware of that. You know you learn a you learn all the little the proper secrets. And sometimes I go down Dogger's Alley, and uh, uh, we go and look at all the people who are dogging, which is always good fun. Right, let's do some quiz questions and then we'll dive into some extra stuff in this episode. Ah, hang on. There we go. Right, okay. Uh, quiz questions. There'll be answers at the end, so let's get ready to rumble. Uh, question number one Name the three clubs nearest uh, to 3 to 4 Arger Street. Uh, sorry, let me redo that. Name the three clubs which were nearest and in 3 to 4 Arch Street. So there's three clubs in and around 3 to 4 Arch Street. What were they called? <sighs> I should have just written the question that way. Question number two. What was Fifi's last known meal? God, I got cake over there. I've bloody saved that since I was going to eat it when I started writing it. Oh, five this morning. I was going to eat it. I thought I'd save it for extra mile, but it's over there now, and I can't be asked. Um, uh, so that was question two. What was French Fifi's last known meal? Or oh. question three. What was French Fifi's birth name? Question four. What was her parents' nationality and religion? Question five, in which part of Paris was Fifi a prostitute? Question six, where did her husband, Henry, work? Question number seven, César was deported back to which country? Question number eight, what part of Soho was a patch? Question nine, what hospital did she go to for cancer treatment? And question number 10, where did she meet Jimmy Orr? Right, where did she first meet Jimmy Orr, that should really say. Right, let's dive into some extra stuff. Um, Obviously, this is the first episode of all of these. I don't want to give away stuff that will ruin any of the future episodes because I haven't written those yet. And we've got a lot that we need to pack into part two next week. I don't want to give away stuff for that. So let's let's just kind of cover some some basics that we've got here. So uh, Josephine uh, later became incoming Josephine Martin. She's 42 years old, 41 years old, although the press said she was 48 at times. Uh, five foot tall, 
described as well-built, rounded face, often wore dark clothes, uh, seemed to have started out relatively well wearing lots of furs, but as you can see through time, money becomes a real problem and therefore she's having to hock a lot of things. This, this is kind of a, a common thing that people would do. If you couldn't, obviously there weren't, you couldn't really afford to go to shops. You know, there were tailors and things like that, but there weren't department stores where you could go and buy clothes. So you'd, you'd have to get them made for you. Obviously, this would cost money. Uh, so if people couldn't afford clothes, you'd, you'd have to hock them. You'd have to take them down to the uh, the pawn shop and they would give you a chitty. You could keep your clothes, but then you'd have to pay later on to kind of own them. So it, it it kind of became a way of getting a bit of money back, being able to keep your own clothes. But it's it's a, it's a complicated system. But unfortunately, with people working hand to mouth, that's the way it was. So she's not a stupid woman by by any means. It's just she's got ever decreasing, ever increasing debt. Uh, so she's losing a lot of her jewelry, her clothing. She's having to hock things. This if any of these stories that we look at in the past people are constantly having to hock things in order just to survive uh, everyone said she was really nice she's quite quiet she didn't seem to drink um i had a little bit of a history in there she it looked like uh, after she had a cancer operation it looked like she tried to go uh straight it looked like she tried to, i didn't put this in the story because it slowed it down i needed to gather some speed again it looked like she tried to get a job as a um a housekeeper for a bit over in Chelsea, which she did, but she started drinking. Uh, it wasn't reliable. She just didn't seem to settle. So she went back to sex work, but after that, she quit drinking. So uh, so even Charles Bull, who we'll learn about probably more like next week, uh, who ran one of, dormant at one of the clubs in the same place, he said she was always quiet and she did not drink. Everyone pretty much says the same, that she did not drink. Uh, what else have we got? Um always looks after her family always seems like a good person you know i can't seem to find anyone who kind of had anything bad to say about her she's very much kind of like um ginger ray in episodes eight and nine very similar her father was taylor they had connections to the west end uh, and soho we don't know why he left in 1901 with her to come to england her mother stayed in paris uh, her mother was still alive when she died, but post Josephine uh, becoming pregnant when she was about four, it's about fourteen, fifteen years old, uh, and the child being given up for adoption. Her, apparently, her father died shortly after that. I didn't put that in the episode because it slows it down. But um, her brother Albert had already moved to uh, the UK by that point. He moved in two thousand. Uh, 1902 uh, to 7 to 8 Leicester Place so just off uh, Leicester Square Uh, he was always in a a bad financial situation we'll probably get into more of that next week Uh, we don't know how she got into prostitution we know it was early we know someone who was acquainted with her we don't know who that was tried to put her on the streets Uh, this happened she became pregnant um but this, we've kind of seen these stories before. If you look at Susan Latany, there's this is what we're coming across, and we're entering this with the kind of uh, what we know about the white slave trade in here. This is very much a tactic that they use. They 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 find a woman who's kind of may already be in the sex trade. Kind of goes, oh, I love you. Oh, it's going to be you and me together. She falls in love with him. He says, oh, well, do you know, you earn money like this. If you work harder as a sex worker for like two more years, and then we can live a great life together 
It's a simple ploy. Um, basically, she got lured in. She got pregnant. She ends up in debt. She's stuck for her life. And this, this kind of became her thing. Uh, we don't know anything about, about the child she gave birth to. Uh, we don't know whether it was a boy or a girl. We don't know anything about it. Uh, this would have happened in France, so we have no details about that. Uh, Henry V. Martin, uh, her first husband, inverted commas. Um, they could have met. It could have been a, a very kind of standard meet and greet up. But there's too much about this that just seems wrong. The speed of which they kind of got together and married. Do you know what? It does happen. Um None of the parents were invited, so that I think the father would have been dead by that point. The mother wasn't invited. Albert was a witness there, but she never talked about Henry after that. Um, now she was one of these people who really, really kind of fell in love with people, but didn't. All we really know about Henry is what Albert told us, and I'm, I've always been a bit dubious about Albert. Albert kind of, I find a little bit. He's a bit... He's dubious, that's all I'm going to say. Um, they uh, split, but didn't didn't divorce after about six months. Six months was about, was about the kind of the, the average for these marriage of conveniences, because by that point, uh, if you're a foreigner, you're not really being watched that carefully after if you've done your six months. He disappeared off to America. Um, it's likely that he was funded owing to... Uh, the money he would have made turning up as a inverted commas a groom um this is something that still happens in this country all the time and actually a lot of countries that a lot of people from overseas who want to get their passport they hire someone uh, who pretends to be their their boyfriend but which is why with marriages now when you sit down with the registrar the registrar has to ask you lots of questions about your life and your lover and you know what their parents do just to kind kind of assess whether you're uh, one of these people who's just lying their ass off just to get a passport uh cesar cesar mary what a name see well it's written as i pronounced it cesar mary because he's uh he's french uh well he's not french uh but what a name mary uh maybe it's marie uh cesar marie maybe that's it uh Seems like a bit of an asshole, a bit of a philanderer. Worked for the consul in uh, uh, Belgravia in Eaton Square. Um, couldn't find out much about him. He doesn't seem to be a diplomat, but it's likely that he worked there as maybe a clerk. Um, but as we will see later on, there's uh, with the white slave trade, they, a lot of the white slavers have legitimate jobs which hide their illegal activities. A lot of people do that now, which is why in, in a lot of these cases when... Uh, you you look at the uh, arrest records of these guys maybe they're they're drug dealers maybe they're kidnappers or things like that but when the police ask them what they do as a job they go kitchen porter do you know they put down the regular standard job that they do in other hours that they probably don't do that much of but it it gives them a bit of a cover and this is kind of something that that you will see going right through this episode uh cesar it was known um he was already married uh he was living with his wife and a mistress and uh fifi was one of his mistresses as well uh and there were letters passed around and one of them said i heard that he was poncing off fifi martin which was the other name that some people called her you know, mrs martin or fifi martin um they were living together for about three years uh until she had him arrested well she didn't quite have him arrested he um 
he got arrested uh, and to kind of preserve herself she, I mean she could have just sat there and no I don't know anything about it but she she didn't she wanted to get rid of him because he was an illegal immigrant it's probably the great thing to do she um, she turned around and went yep this is this is what he did uh, and therefore he got uh, deported um, we don't know whether he ever saw her again but as we will later see in the series um, even when people are deported overseas there's nothing really to stop them coming back there's no real checks you can kind of just dip in and out whatever you, you like um, what else we got just conscious that we don't go too far into this uh, Fifi is a sex worker we know her patch that's one of the questions I won't do that pimp we don't know whether she had a pimp post Cesar I think it's likely that she did this is something that we'll dive into later on is down to the ownership of the house of where she lived if you think about it like this there's, there's four flats and four of them are run by four of them are are uh, prostitutes live in there so likelihood is uh, but we'll dive into a lot of that later on there's uh there's i don't want to ruin too much um unfortunately in the uh, in the file her criminal record wasn't in there so we know that she has 47 criminal offenses for prostitution and brothel keeping but we don't know what they are um i did some digging and what's that noise the boat about to go past with a really horrible engine it's got really high-pitched whine get it fixed um uh, 18th of december 1920 police raided a maisonette so it's a flat with several bedrooms uh, over two floors at 42 bryanston street so that's marleybone josephine martin 26 the tenant was brought before marleybone police court and fined 12 pounds and five pound costs for using the place for improper purposes police had kept surveillance on the flat prior three other women were seen to use the place uh, besides the accused and a japanese was found there uh, you'll have noticed this already but there's a, a little bit of, like like um the reference i had to do earlier on where it's like uh she she would sleep with anyone chinese even a colored it's like it's that era you, you just got to kind of accept that that's what it is and here it's like couldn't even be asked to say a japanese person it's like a japanese was found there <laughs> it's it's that era um the accused was heard to say if I had been by myself, it would have been all right. Um, the thing is, because there's multiple prostitutes in the same flat, that constitutes a brothel, uh, even though they may not be working together. But uh, this is the same problem that um, often with sex workers, they will meet outside, but they can't go into uh, a flat together to see each other because if they are caught together, that classifies as a brothel, even though they're not engaging in sex, sex work. So... Uh, it makes for a really odd one um her her cancer uh she was in hospital for three months on that this don't forget this is an era before the nhs the nhs that we have now before uh the, our government sells off the rest of it or mismanages it to the point where they sell it off at a bargain price and then conveniently become um directors of whatever new institution becomes the nhs that's what they're doing utter wankers anyway the wonderful nhs this is pre-nhs so obviously you got sick you go into hospital and you'd have to pay you'd have you'd have to pay your money there and then to get to get well which is a ridiculous way to 
to live a life um so that would have meant a lot of debt to her as well so three months in hospital plus plus paying for all of her cancer treatment as well thank god for the nhs wonderful service let's enjoy it while it's still here um 1929 to 1932 it was said that she worked as a servant um but she has a criminal conviction there for being drunk and disorderly in Chelsea for hurling abuse at another woman and she was sentenced to a day in prison. Apparently after that she stopped drinking, she went entirely teetotal, but she returned to prostitution. If you think about it, she's nineteen ten, she started being a prostitute, so by nineteen twenty nine, that's almost twenty years as a prostitute. It's it's gonna be hard to kind of go back to doing something else when you've been doing one thing for so long. Jimmy, we might dive into a little bit more later on. Um, he said he was a film artist. Uh, it turns out he was a bit of a background artist. He'd worked in the Navy for years. He came from Chicago, although his family originated from Malta. His father still li- still lived in America at that time. Um, he had a strong uh, American accent. Um, 1932 his business went bad and he moved to the UK so he was still he was a good couple of years younger longer longer younger than Fifi but they seemed to get on really well and he really liked her they both really liked each other Um, he didn't seem to have a problem with the fact that she was a prostitute Uh, we're unsure whether he was a client Uh, he may have been this sometimes happens that men kind of meet up with their prostitutes and then they slightly fall in love with them Um, they got on well with each other um he didn't have a place to stay so he kind of lived out of hotels uh working as an extra he was earning about seven pounds a week so he was doing okay but the more he started to get into uh drug abuse uh the more things started to get worse uh in here it was weird because they kept referring to him as being put in a nursing home and a nursing home is the old what they would call kind of the um the place where drug addicts would go do you know uh, rehab centers obviously they call it nursing homes back in the 30s but uh in his in his hotel room there was uh, loads of needles everywhere and um so he was a, a massive heroin addict uh i think i don't want to do yeah i'm not gonna do any more i think that's more because like, i don't want to ruin next week's Ujimi doodly doodly thingamajobs. Uh, also, it means I can go to the coffee shop and charge up my laptop. Oh, throat is sore. Throat is sore. So, um, let's do the quiz questions, and then I will I will say say good night to you. It's not really good night. It's only it's three thirty eight at the moment. There we go. I've just finished before the kids start coming out and ruining my recording, little bastards. Um, so, let's do answers to the questions. Uh, name the three clubs which were nearest and oh for fuck's sake name the three clubs which were nearest or in three archer street i can't remember how i rephrased that better earlier on but you know what i'm saying the clubs were the windmill club which is still there today it's on the corner of archer street and great windmill street uh the cairo club which was in the basement and the globe club which was on the first floor um we will see more of this later on about these these aren't big buildings they're just regular kind of uh this was a five-story building uh it's probably about 30 or 40 feet wide mm, probably 30 feet wide so it's not big but these aren't massive nightclubs these are kind of like like someone's front room really um illegal kind of drinking dens you know a bit of gambling blah 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 uh question number two what was fifi's last known meal 
it was fried eggs and tea. Question number three. What was Fifi's birth name? It was Josephine Mechanique. Question number four. What was her parents' nationality and religion? They were Russian Jews. Question number five. In which part of Paris was Fifi a prostitute? It was Rue Pigali. Question number six. Where did her husband Henry work? He was a waiter at the Trocadero. Question number seven. So it's, the likelihood is they may have met there because Trocadero was part of the... Is this one the questions coming up? No, it's not. Uh, Trocadero was part of the Lions Cornhouse Tea Room, which was on the corner of Coventry Street. So it, the buildings are connected. So it's true that they may have met there or it could have been staged, fixed up as a white slave trade thing. We don't know. That's why in, in this episode there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, possibilities possibly because prostitution is kind of difficult to kind of pin stuff down i'm waffling question seven cesar was deported back to which country home of the waffle the it was belgium question number eight what part of soho was fifi's patch it was glasshouse street question number nine what hospital did she go to uh for cancer treatment it was Middlesex Hospital. And question number 10, where did she meet Jimmy Orr? Well, there you go. I've just done the answer to the question there. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't ruin it. Um, uh, Lions Cornerhouse Tea Room in Piccadilly. That's the one on Coventry Street. So, still recording? Still recording. That's good. That's always nice to see. So, I think that's me done. Uh, oh, come on, where's my mouse? There we go. Mouse just seems to disappear when it when it bloody wants to, little bastard. Uh, so that's me done. Um, hope you enjoyed that. Nine more episodes to go, which means we'll be done <sighs> middle of April. So middle of April, and then there's lots more. I've, I, I spent ages in the archives pulling out. Like you're gonna have loads of cases this year that no one's ever heard of. This no, this no one's heard fully. There's bits, there's crappy bits in some shitty true crime books out there. I'm not going to name them. I've got one of them here. Fuck's sake. The, the writer hasn't even bothered to do the research. He's opened up a handful of newspapers and copied down what's in there. So this is the truth. This is the fact here. This is based on evidence, not this shite. Um, but there's loads of cases that I've never heard of, and I'm really excited to dive into them. So lots we're going to run up we will do a little bit of uh the daily inch over summer to give me a bit of a break to do some more research and then we've got more episodes leading to christmas <sighs> this is my first episode oh my god it's gonna kill me right that's me done um have yourself a good one folks stay, stay safe and be good and uh thank you to everyone for supporting the show and continue to listen to the show um best wishes lots of love 
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.